Thank you for joining us today. In this series, Ask, Pastor James tackles the most commonly asked questions in church. We hope this enlightens and inspires you to move forward in your walk with God. For example, if you're playing the University of Tennessee, if you're going to have any opportunity at beating the University of Tennessee on a good day, if you're going to have any opportunity of beating the University of Tennessee, you want to study and understand their defense and their offense, their coaching tactics, their play calls. The more that you can understand about your opponent, the better chance you have at beating them. If you're playing basketball and they've got a guy that's seven foot five or they got a big old Shaquille O'Neal looking dude, chances are if they got somebody bigger and stronger than everybody on the court, guess who's going to get the ball? The dude that can push everybody else around. And so it comes in handy to understand the tactics or the game plan of your opponent. Here is why most churches are unsuccessful. They, they refuse. They think that it's all about have faith in God. Pray and it'll happen. Fast and it'll happen. Preach and it'll happen. Man, if we got a good enough choir, we'll have church. Man, if we got talented enough musicians, we'll have church. If we've got a preacher that can preach it this way, we can have church. And they put everything on the hype and on the, put all the emphasis on particular things and they forget the important factor of the church. This is what the church is. We are redeemed. We are saved. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing the devil can do to eliminate what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it is finished. We have authority. We have power. We have everything we need. But you have to understand that you are in a fight. You have to understand you are in a fight. There's too many people that want to preach it with a cotton candy style that makes you think that if you come in and you put your faith in Jesus, then everything's going to be all right and you're going to walk and the sun's going to shine and the birds are going to chirp. But as soon as the devil starts attacking your marriage, you'll begin to question your faith. As soon as the devil begins attacking your children, you will question your faith. If you do not understand, we are in a fight. Jesus equipped me not so I can come in and have church, but so that and I can go out with authority and power and be the son or the daughter of the most high God that he's calling and ordained me to be. You have to understand you're in a fight. If you come in every Sunday playing patty cake, you will be defeated every Monday. If you come in every Sunday waiting on somebody to stir your emotions, you'll be defeated every Monday. If you come in every Sunday expecting somebody to sing you happy or preach you happy, you will never accomplish what God created you for. But we have to realize we're in a fight. This is not a recreation room. This is a war room. This is not a playground. This is a battlefield. We are not, we are not kids in gym class with, with, with teacher Jesus giving us uh, athletics and, and routines and, and things to do that we can live a better and a prosperous and a blessed life. We are in a battle. There is a devil that is after me and after my family. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that which I've done, greater things shall you do because I have a sinner but you got to understand we're in a fight high five two or three people tell them say we're in a fight we're in a fight go ahead high five tell them we're in a fight we're in a fight there is a devil that is coming after you he wants to destroy your marriage he wants to destroy your children he wants to destroy your finances he wants to destroy your peace your joy your faith your hope you have to understand we're in a fight we're in a fight. And if you're not willing to fight, there's only one other option. You die. 
If you don't, if you're saved or you're not saved, that's a sin. We are in a fight. But here's the good news. Not only is it a fixed fight, it's fixed. More fixed than WWE. It's fixed. The winner has been predetermined. It is the one that places their faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you won't have to throw a punch. But honey, when you land that punch, you're going to knock that devil out. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the word of God. Power in the Holy Spirit. It's a fixed fight. But it's still a fight. But not only did he fix it. Not only did he give you everything that you need to win it. But are you ready for this? He gave you the enemy's attack plan. He said he's got three shots. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Jesus said that's all he's got. He ain't got a million tactics. He ain't got a thousand. He don't have ten. He's got three. The only way he can bring your your family down is one of those three areas. The only way that he can destroy you financially, and some people say, oh, does God really care about my finances? How are you going to feed the hungry children if you can't feed your children? How are you going to bless and clothe the naked and put a roof over the homeless if you can't even afford to pay? Yeah, God wants you to be blessed because in blessing, he will bless you. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. He wants you to be blessed. He He said, I would above all things. That you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your finances, your children, your marriage, your job, the relationships you have with your family, your faith, your peace, your ADD, your OCD, the diseases, the diagnosis, everything in your life. There's only three areas that he can fight you. You're battling with anxiety. There's only three punches he can throw. You've been diagnosed. you got so much stress, you can't even close your eyes at night. There's only three areas, honey. And if you ever learn how to block those three punches, you're not only going to beat the devil, you're going to walk right over him. He, you'll be like David. He said he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those people that talk bad about you, God won't just bless you and make a way. He'll set the table right in front of them. And your enemies will watch God bless you. He's only got three shots. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And if you can learn how to understand these three tactics, and if you can learn the biblical concept of how to overcome these three tactics, you will be everything that God said you should be. Because if you can conquer these three tactics, then you are doing exactly what Paul said when he said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust. Three punches. That's all he has. So is anybody in the house that wants to learn what the word of God says about these three punches? And if you can learn about these three punches today, you will leave this place different. You ready? First thing I want you to do is I want you to see where, the, where these three punches came into the world. This is how you know there's three tactics, and here's how they got here. Genesis 3 and 6. You'll see it on the screen. It says, and when the woman, this is talking about Eve. This is when the serpent entered into the garden. Notice this. And when the woman saw... There's three things that the devil's going to throw. All three of these types of sin, all three categories, enter the Garden of Eden, and this is how they got into the world. You ready? Here it is. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, 
And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. All three of them came through the serpent, entered into Eve. And then if you read the end of the verse, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Sin has entered the world through three categories. And that is why these are the only three. That's why John said all that's in the world, this is it, is three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. There is nothing in Satan's arsenal he can hit you with other than these three things. Now, here's the good news. Now, I'm going to take you on to the Gospel of Luke, and you're going to find out how we can beat these three things. Here we go. Luke chapter number four, verse number three. A man named Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River. He is led by the Spirit, the Bible says, into the wilderness to be tempted of the enemy. Jesus at this time has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Let me say that one more time. He's fasted. In other words, he has not eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. At this point, he is weak. I cannot even imagine. 40 days without a biscuit. 40 days. I, I fasted one time. There was the, the, the longest fast I ever went on in my life. Brad, I remember I was maybe 19, 20, 21 years old. I can't remember exactly. But I remember there was something going on in my life, and I needed to fast to get victory over it. And I fasted, and I didn't know how long I was going to fast, but I was just going to fast until I felt like it broke. I fasted one day. It hurt. Two days, it stung. Three days, I knew I was going to die. Three days, four days, five days, six days. And somewhere around the sixth day, I got this in my head. And this may work for different, you know, differently for different people. But on about sixth day, I started craving Long John Silver so bad. I mean, I grew up in a, little, in a little county in Kentucky, and we only had about two restaurants the whole time that I lived there. And they built this Long John Silver's not long before I started this fast. And I, I'm telling y'all, you know, I, I grew up maybe poorer than some other people, but, you know, I grew up, most of what we ate was out of the backyard. And so when we went to Long John Silver's, that was like our, our back steakhouse to some people. You know, I was like, oh, we're going to the fancy place. They got, they got bibs. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all went there for Valentine's Day. You know how fancy it is. So I, around day six, I started craving Long John so bad I couldn't stand it. And so on day seven, I fasted the, the, the completeness. I completed the seventh day, and after it was over with, I'd already made up in my mind, I'm hitting Long John. I knew seven days was the end. Of it. I thought, I'm going to hit Long John. I'm going to knock that door off the hinge. I'm going to hit that place so hard. I went in there, and, and if you've ever been real hungry, and, and, you know, this happens to me every day around lunchtime, you know, you get that overwhelming hunger feeling. You're like, you know what? I can't decide between no number one, number three, or number five. Just give me a number 135. That's how I felt when I went. Some of y'all looking around like, oh, what are you talking about? Yeah, you do. That's why heart disease has become the number one killer in America. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You deep fried dirt, and I'll eat it if it looks good enough. So I got to that menu, and I'm sitting there looking at it, and I said, man, I couldn't figure out fish or chicken. Fish, chick, hush puppies. Fish, chicken, hush puppies, fries. Coleslaw. I don't even like coleslaw, but that sounds good. 
So I went, and I'm, I'm not even kidding, y'all. This is a true story. I got whatever the meal was. It was like three pieces of chicken, two pieces of fish. Now, I hadn't eaten in seven days. Closest thing I had was a Yoo-Hoo. Seven days. Three pieces of chicken, two pieces of fish, uh, two hush puppies. Go ahead and add me a half dozen hush puppies to that. Uh, you know those little crispy things? I don't know what they're called. I think that's the technical term, crispies. Can you give me a box of crispies uh, and, and, and fry? And so they brought it out, and I mean, I looked like I could have fed a family. And I sat down in Long, John, Long John's, and I mean, man, y'all, I, I devoured that. I was inhaling it. I forgot to even chew. I hadn't used anything in so long. I just swallowed it. And I'm cramming it in, and I got done. And afterward, you know, it was like, man. My stomach was saying, snap, dude. Did you really just do this? My stomach was probably about the size of this bottle lid at that moment. And I crammed all that, and I, I, home, I was about this close to making it to the car. And I had to leave my Long John's at Long John's. I couldn't even hold it. Now, I'm going to leave it right there. But, but I said all that to say that was seven days. Forty days. Brother's been fasting. Forty days. And Satan comes to him at the end of 40 days. Let me tell you. First thing you got to understand about temptation is it will always hit you at your weakest moment. Most people don't struggle with stuff when they're in the crowd. Most people don't struggle with stuff when they're with the church. Most people don't struggle with it on Sunday. That's why you come in and you feel so good when you left. But on Monday you feel like you hadn't even been to church. It's because you have to understand the devil's not going to hit you at your strongest because he's a coward. He's going to hit you at your weakest point. And this is why I never could understand in the old school church why people would brag about stuff that they had never done in their life. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never drank alcohol. I've never been to a bowling alley. And, they, and I've heard all through my church life, I ain't been raised in church, but the whole time I haven't, I would hear people roll out these testimonies about, I've never been to a bar. I've never been to a dance club. But they was the most judgmental person you ever met in the house, and they didn't understand. Listen, your struggle may not be my struggle, but if my struggle is my struggle. I got to work on me. I can't try to fix you. I gotta fix me that's why it does no good if you've not messed up like I messed up you've messed up I've messed up we've all messed up that's why the Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags Ain't nobody entitled. You were born into the church of God, give you a cookie. You were born into a Baptist church, give you a cookie. We've all got mistakes though. Everybody, preacher's kid. Pimp's kid, prostitute's kid, drug addict's kid, kid with one mama, kid with two mamas, kid with no mama. We've all got struggles. We've all got problems. And sin is personalized to you. The reason some people have never tasted alcohol is because alcohol may not be the thing they struggle with. But they may have a porn problem. They may have a line problem. They may have a pride or an arrogance or an ego issue. This is the thing that we need to understand about the devil. He's not going to hit me with what Brad struggles with. He's going to hit me with what I struggle with. And he'll wait until you are at your weakest moment to punch you with it. So here's what he does to Jesus. Ever since Eve, every person ever born of a man and a woman has been tempted with these three areas, and they have fallen short of the test. But here comes Jesus, 40 days, weakest moment. 
Satan comes at him in Genesis chapter number three, verse number six. This is what your Bible says. I'm sorry, Genesis, that was the one we just read. Luke chapter four, verse number three. Luke chapter four, verse number three. And the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command that this stone, that it may be made bread. Now he knows that this is a man and he knows every man's weakness is bread. And Jesus has not eaten in 40 days. And he shows him a rock, probably a big rock. And he says, if you are really who you say you are, if you're really the son of God, speak to this rock and turn it into bread. Now, let me tell you this. It would have not been a temptation at all if Jesus were not able to turn the stone into bread. Jesus was every bit capable. That's like the devil tempting you to go spend a million dollars and you know you only got ten. Come on. You, if you can't do it, it ain't a temptation because you know you stuck at the house. You ain't even got money to put gas in the car. Devil ain't going to get you. But he will hit you with something that is within your realm of capability. And so he tells Jesus, if you're really the son of God, speak to that rock, turn it into bread. Notice what Jesus does. He teaches us the foundational principle. If you are ever going to overcome temptation, it always starts with God's word. Now, let me say this, and this may sound offensive, and I don't mean this offensive. I mean this encouraging. I mean to inspire. You cannot fight temptation if you do not know God's word. This is why God spoke to me about I needed to do more. To, I needed to, to break more into the, into the word of God. We have, we have groups, and our groups are amazing. God said, you need all of it you can get, but I need you to take this, 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 and this, and I need you to begin to break down Bible principles. Not because James Coffey has it all figured out, but God will speak to me to tell you what you need to know so that we can both overcome the enemy and both go to the next level together. Can somebody say amen? That's what it's all about. But you cannot... You cannot overcome the devil without the word of God. There are too many people that are trying to fight a battle with no weapons. Because you have an enemy that the Bible says like a roaring lion. He seeks whom he may devour. And if I've got nothing to fight with, he will devour me. He don't care what your grandma said. He don't care what great-grandpa said. He don't care who, who you knew that went to church and who you knew that was a pastor. He wants to know what do you have. Your relationship with Jesus has to be your relationship with Jesus. And having a relationship with God without any knowledge of the world, or without any knowledge of the word is like being married and having no idea who that person is. Because this is how we learn who God is. This is his character. This is his personality. This is his plan. This is his purpose. Not only for him, not only for the church, but for us as individuals. I have to know the word of God. So I will say that to say this. If you have absolutely no Bible reading plan at all in your life, even if you start with two or three verses a day, start. If it's a Bible app devotional, start. Start somewhere. Get the word of God in your life. You will never be the person that God created you to be trying to live your life outside of the word. Can somebody say amen? You may say, preacher, you don't understand. I'm so ADD. I can't even look at grass long enough to tell if it's green. You know what? That's fine. There's a plan for you. If you go on to your, Bible, or, 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 go on to your phone, you can download a Bible app, and it'll even read it to you. Plug that puppy in while you're driving to work. Alexandra Scurby will read it to you. But you got to get the word of God in your life. Can somebody say amen? amen? So he comes at Jesus first and he says, if you really be the son of God, speak to this rock and turn it into bread. 
This is how Jesus responds. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He combats him, first of all, with the word. And I want you to notice what is happening. He is punching the devil with the lust of the flesh. He's hungry. The devil offers him food. Jesus resists it, right? So here's the lust of the flesh. Number two, Luke chapter number four. Verses 5 through 7. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain, high mountain, notice that because I'm going to come back to a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give you in the glory of them, for it is delivered unto me and to whosoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. He offered him the lust of the flesh. Jesus overcame. Now he's offering him the lust of the eyes. The Bible said he takes him to a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms, all the riches of the world. He says, I will give this to you if you will bow down and worship me. Here's Jesus' response. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall thou serve. So punch number two fails. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye. So everything that even Adam brought into is Jesus is bringing us back out of it. Do you understand? He is giving you an option that that devil that makes you think that you are defeated and you will never be anything and you'll never go anywhere and you'll never change and you'll never overcome it. Jesus says, in me you can. In me you are able. You may not be able to do it on your own, but I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. So number one, lust of the flesh. Number two, lust of the eyes. Here we go, Luke chapter number four, verses nine through 11. And I'm about to show you something. And he brought him to Jerusalem and he set him on a pinnacle or the peak of the temple. Now notice this. Temptation number two, he takes him to a high mountain. Temptation number three, he sets him on the highest point of the temple. Let me take just a moment here and pause and tell you something. Every time, Everybody in the world's praying to be blessed. Everybody in the world wants God to bless them and to use them and to help them and to strengthen them and to advance them. Let me make this point clear. Every time you are elevated, temptation will come with it. Let me say it again. Every time you are elevated, temptation will come with it. You've been praying 10 years, God will send you a husband, and here he is, Prince Charming. Don't you think for a moment temptation ain't going to come right along with him. I don't care how much Jesus you both got. The devil is going to come at you to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Can somebody say amen? Every time you've been praying God will bless you with a job, you've been praying that God will help you financially, and then you get it, and then all of a sudden now they want you to work on Sundays. Is it all right if I just preach? Every time elevation or promotion comes, temptation will come with it. You've been praying that God will move in your life and, and he'll bring you into a new level with him and you'll experience God like you never had before and all hell breaks loose. Why? Because before Abraham could be the father of nations, he had to experience the, 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 the struggle of being willing to offer his son Isaac. Before Noah could experience the salvation of the Lord, he had to experience what a 40-day flood was like. Before Elijah could experience what fire was falling from heaven, he had to know what it was like to have 850 people saying he was going to kill him. Before Elijah could see the successor of Elisha come and carry on because nothing, nothing is successful unless you have something to carry it on. And before he could ever experience an Elisha, he had to have a crazy Jezebel threatening to kill him in a desert place. 
Before David could ever be elevated up to the place that God had called him to be, he had to face a giant. But then when he got into the kingdom and he wanted God to establish him and God was going to bless his lineage that through the loins of David, the Savior would come. He had to experience what it was like to have a known son that wanted to kill him. Because every time God elevates you to another place, temptation will always accompany it. So if you're going to ask God to bless you, be ready to fight for it. If you want God to move in your life, be ready to fight for it. If you want to have a marriage that lasts 40 and 50 years, you got to fight for it. You want your kids to be different, you got to fight for it. It takes patience. It takes commitment. It takes resilience. But if you're willing to fight for it, God will give what he promised he would give. The Bible says he took him to a pinnacle of the temple and he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He's already fought the lust of the flesh. He's already fought the lust of the eye. Here's the pride of life. If you're God, just show everybody. Prove it. You know how many guys I've seen in a gym get hurt doing something like this? I can bench 300 pounds. Oh, yeah, prove it. Then they get down there and realize it was really 2.30, but who's counting? Anytime that you feel the urge to show off, anytime you feel the need that you have to prove yourself, you know what's going on? Pride is rising up. If you know who you are in God, why does it matter if anybody else knows? God said, if you humble yourself before me, I will exalt you in due season. You know, the only thing that matters is God knows who you are. You're faithful in private. You get in your prayer closet and you seek the face of God. He will elevate you in every other area. And David didn't have to look around and say, Lord, I wish you'd bless me and show everybody else. You gave so-and-so a 2002 car. I wish you'd give me a 2003. He said, no, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy you anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because all that matters is God knows who I am lust of the flesh lust of the eye and the pride of life Eve allowed all three to enter into the world Jesus gave an exit strategy to overcome all three So are you ready? Here it is. I'm I'm, going to get into this, and I'm going to try to preach this in the next 10 minutes. If you are going to overcome the lust of the flesh, here's how you do it. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, try to get the person beside you to write this down for you because this is key. You ready? If you are going to overcome the lust of the flesh, you have to know your limits. Now I'm going to stop preaching, and I want to teach for a moment. I'm going to see if I can do it, Gene. I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to try. Know your limits. Here's what the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You have to know your limit. You know what you struggle with. And if you know you struggle with something, the best way to overcome it is to not wait until you're looking at eye to eye before you try to beat it. Know your limits and cut off the opportunity. 
This is what I tell young men and ladies. As I was a national youth director and I was hosting youth camps and young men and young ladies would come at me and they were 15, 16, 14, 12 nowadays. They were, they were so filled with estrogen and testosterone, they didn't know which way to look. They were just, just, just dizzy, just looking like a bunch of bobbleheads looking around at each other. And they would come to me and they'd say, Pastor James, I just, she's just so pretty. I don't know if I can do it. You know what I told them? Don't get in the shadows. Stay out here in the light. You going to camp's over. You're 14 years old. You want to kiss your boo and your bae goodbye. You know it's going to last forever and you ain't going to see him for nine months. What's the chances of that happening? But anyway, they're 14 and they're in love and they know it and they want to sneak a kiss goodbye. Now, you know what? This may not be ethical to some people, but let me tell you what I did and I'm admitting it on video. So here we go. If you're going to sneak a kiss goodbye to your 14-year-old love of your life that you know it's meant to last forever, you've been together for three days and you've overcome so much already, (laughs) here's what you do. Don't sneak off behind the building to do it. Because if you get over there where nobody can see you, you know what happens? You're going to cross your limits. You want to kiss them, try try to kiss her right there in front of her mama. You may get jack slapped, but go ahead and kiss her right there in front of her mama. Because that bruise will heal, but your conscience will be clean. You got to know your limits. People come in. I've seen people come in and get saved, and they're so on fire for Jesus. They want to go. God has just delivered them from 25 years of alcohol, and they feel called into a ministry, and they want to go, and that's awesome. But let me tell you what. Going down to the Cotton Eye Joe is probably not the mission field for you. You got to know your limits. You've, you've just come out of 15 years of drug addiction, and you want to tell people, about, that's awesome. And one day you may be able to go back to that place you came out of it. But for now, start telling your sober friends. And then start telling the people that you run into in Walmart and in public places. But don't you go back down there where you were buying your last bag of pills and think you're going to win everybody. you got to know your limits. You and, your, you and your husband are struggling and, and you in an argument and, and he just don't understand you. But that guy that you work with understands. Is it all right if I just preach this morning? You got to know your limits. And you got to make them plain. Peter said there's nothing strange. The devil is not going to stick something out at you that you have never seen before. I didn't know that was coming. He's going to fight you with what he fought you with last time. You know it's coming. If you know somebody's about to sucker punch you with the right hand, you know what you're going to do? You're going to put your left hand up. The devil is going to hit you with what you struggle with. you got to set limits. Let me read one more scripture. Write this one down and, and, and jot a note and, and take this because this will help you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. This is what it says. Wherefore, let him that thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, it don't matter if you've been serving Jesus 20 years. The devil is still going to try to sucker punch you. Take heed lest you also fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, the same thing you're struggling with, other people are struggling with it. And if God can bring them through it, God can bring you through it. Can somebody say amen? But God is faithful. Somebody ought to shout amen on that. God is faithful. He is faithful because he will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 
Let me just say this. Some people can handle stuff that other people cannot. If you struggle with pornography, you do not need to be on the internet by yourself. If you struggle with it, and, and I say this because nobody wants to talk about sex in the church, but this is the reality. 73% of preachers struggle with pornography. And if the preachers are struggling with it, then that means that there's probably other people struggling with it too. Do you know why? Because every time they feel this is the number one cause that any man or woman will look at pornography because they suffer with rejection. And that, that computer screen or that cell phone will never say no. But let me tell you, if you know that that is a struggle you have, you need to place safeguards in your life. You need to not be on the internet by yourself. You need to set up a lock or a block on your phone. You can even you can even buy an app to where if I'm struggling with something, anytime that I'm tempted, if I try to enter the website, it'll text Brad. And Brad can call me and say, hey, are you struggling? Some people say, oh, preacher, there's no way I can do that. It's better. The Bible said it like this. It's better to cut your hand off and make it to heaven than to go to hell with both hands. It's better to pluck your eye out and go to heaven than it is to go to hell with both eyes. Can somebody say amen? It'd be better for you to be embarrassed for a second, but survive through your marriage, and your marriage lasts, and your kids lasts, and you go to heaven, and you be an example. Just because you struggle with something different don't make you any better or less than anybody else. But you have to know your limits. You have to set boundaries. This ain't real churchy shouting amen, but my job is not to try to get somebody to shout amen. My job is to try to let God be able to open doors and move in your life like he never has before. And if we're going to get there, we have to learn to overcome the lust of the flesh. Let me say this also. You want to overcome the lust of the flesh? Don't move in with your boyfriend. You want to overcome the lust of the flesh? Stop parking in the dark with your girlfriend. Let me make sure I say this good, loud, and clear for anybody that watches this online. It is, it is nearly impossible. Not saying it is. But it is nearly impossible to get a man and a woman that's so in love and so romantic and get them by themselves and the devil not find a loophole. Because as soon as they get alone, his churchy self that was singing, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. You are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? His hymn done went out the window. Amen. You know why? Because when he's on a date, he's listening to stay. He ain't listening to I'll fly away, oh glory. He done flew away. <laughs> Lust of the flesh, know your boundaries. Is this all right? Can somebody say amen? You got to know your limits. Number two, lust of the flesh, you have to understand the power. And if you're taking notes, this is it. Power of perception. Power of perception. 
Let me point this out with Eve, and I'm going to try to get through this quick. Eve is in the garden. She's surrounded by beautiful fruit. Sin and death has not yet entered the garden. There is not a single piece of fruit in that garden that's rotten, that's turning brown, turning black. Every piece of fruit in the whole garden is beautiful. There was nothing about that tree that she was not to eat off of. There was nothing better about that fruit than the fruit she had. The only difference was God said, don't touch this. And you can have all this. But when she got to looking at it, you see, it didn't matter if the fruit was any different. It's how you view the fruit. Is this all right? Power perception. This is why a lot of people can never be satisfied with a job. Because that job over there that they're not working always looks better, looks easier, looks more pleasant than the job that they are in. And it's not until they get there that they realize that job ain't no better. This is the same reason why many people cannot hold a relationship now. They think he's oh so cute and he's perfect and he understands. But as soon as they get in a relationship, he ain't near as smart as she thought he was. He ain't near as nice as she thought he was he don't hold the door open like she thought he would it was the perception that dude's as selfish as he was before you dated him come on now somebody help me preach in this house ain't a thing changed he's the same as what he was before you dated ladies you married that man and you just knew he was just the one and he had a couple little things you didn't like but you was going to change them You should have went to marriage counseling before you said, I do. You know what's different? He ain't changed. A lot of women get married 10, 15, 25 years, and they get mad at the man, and this is the thing. You sitting there saying he changed. Most of the time, he didn't, and that was the problem because your perception of him was different than the reality of who he was, and you can't blame somebody for being who they are. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Same thing with ladies. Men sitting there looking at her saying, oh, she changed. She used to be different. No, she didn't. You were just too blind to see it. She, she loved spending money when you married her. So why are you mad that you're 10 years married and she got a closet full of stuff she don't wear? You knew it before you married her. Perception was different. Now, this, this, I'm just going to get real with you all this morning. I'm about to climb all up in your grits and your gravy. Power of perception. You know, it's amazing sometimes. I've bought a car before. Let me say this. I'll say this about my truck. You know, when I bought my truck, I was looking at that truck, and I'd been looking for a truck for so many years, and I was trying to find something older with fairly low miles, and, you know, I was just I was looking for that right. It took me eight years. That's how OCD I am. It took me eight years to finally find a truck for the price that I wanted, and, and, and I got that truck, and I looked at it, and I thought, man, that's a clean truck. That's so nice. It's got, man, it's got silver hubcaps. Whew. Man, I'm telling you what, it's just, it's, it's perfect. And I got that truck, and I drove it for a week, two weeks. And, and don't get me wrong, I, love, I like my truck, and, and I'm glad I got it. But you know what I noticed after about four or five days? Man, I didn't see that scratch there before. And in two or three days, man, there's a dent on that fender. Who in the world put a dent on that fender? And it always helps to have a real perceptive wife because she's like, it was there when you got it. Ah, okay. And I, you know what the difference is? The truck hadn't changed. But it was my perception. I was so happy when I got it. Boy, I tell you what, they probably, it's white, so they probably took white out and covered all them scratches I didn't see. And then when it rained, it washed the white out off. I don't know. But I looked at it, and, and, but, but after a while, it's like you start knowing, noticing all the imperfections that you didn't see from far away. 
And this is the same thing that catches a lot of folks in sin. Because let me tell you, the grass on the other side may look greener. And rather this is your marriage, or this is your children, or this is your job. You just think, man, if I had that car, if I had that house, if I had that, if I could get this, if I could dress, if I was skinny like them, if I was big muscular like them. And you always, but you have to understand the power of perception. Those things will not make you happy. Those things will not make you. She will not be any better than what you got. He will not be any different than what you've got. It's not the matter of the fact that that is better. It's how you choose to look at it. If you will start looking at that man like you did when you first got married, you'll find that things begin to rekindle a little bit. If you start doing the things for her that you did when you first got married, you'll start noticing the, the kindle, the flame will begin to rekindle a little bit. Can somebody say amen? If you'll stop looking around thinking about how bad you hate your job and start thinking, thank God I got a job. Thank God my rent's paid and my electric's home. Thank God for what I do. The power of perception can change change everything. I'm going to give you a scripture for it and then I'm going to move on. James chapter number 1 verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Temptation typically don't just fall on you. It's, it happens when you begin to look at other people's stuff. When he is drawn away of his own lust and he is enticed. Then when lust has conceived it brings forth sin and sin when it is finished brings forth death. Lust of the flesh is knowing your limits. Lust of the eye is the power of perception. And then finally, pride of life is this, the lack of contentment. The lack of contentment. I'm going to give you two scriptures for this. Actually, no, I want to give you two verses for this. Philippians chapter number 4, verses 19 and 20. This is what your Bible says. But my God shall supply all of your need. All your need. All your need. I want to say that about three or four more times for everybody that's going through a struggle right now, been praying. You feel like nothing's changing. God's not hearing you. But my God shall supply all your need according. He shall supply all your need. He will bless you. He will prosper you. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. If he said he'll heal, then he'll heal. If he said he'll deliver, then he'll deliver. If he said he'll bring you out, then he'll bring you out. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. I want you to catch this. God will supply all of your need. All of your need. Not some of it, not half of it, not most of it. God will supply all of your need. Let me tell you where the pride of life comes in at. Anytime that you start getting into a place mentally, psychologically, you get into a place where you feel like you need something that you do not have, pride will creep in. Now, I want to say that one more time. I want everybody to hear this closely. Anytime you start to feel like you need something that you do not have, pride is creeping in. I'm not saying you want something. I'm not saying you want. There's a lot of things I want. I'm saying anytime you get to feeling like you need something that you don't have, pride will creep in. Do you know why? Because God will not lie. And he said, if you have a need, he will supply it. You may say, but preacher, you don't understand. I really do. Well, if it is something that you really need, you don't have to sit there and try to conjure an idea on how to get it. Because if it is something you legitimately need, he done promised you he'd give it. 
Your marriage, if you are a believer in God, your marriage is blessed. Your children are blessed. Your home is blessed. Your finances are blessed. If you are a believer in God, you don't have to ask God for peace. It's already yours. You don't have to ask God for joy. It's already yours. Everything you need is yours. It's accessible. You may choose not to use it, but you don't have to pray for it. It's yours. It's given. When Christ died on the cross and uttered the words, it is finished, that is exactly what he meant. It is finished. It's supplied. It's been given. But the pride of life will creep in when you begin to look around and begin to think of all the things you don't have. The people that walked out on you. The people that turned on you. The situations that you thought would work out this way, but they worked out this way. I'm preaching to somebody in this house this morning. All the stuff that you wanted God to do this way, but he chose to do it this way. All the stuff that you wanted God to hear you and and move in this particular way and you were looking for another one. Instead of looking around and thinking of all the things that God didn't do, if you'll stop just a minute and just think, man, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Because the absence, right there, this is Facebook worthy. The absence of contentment is the breeding ground for pride. The absence of content. I can't sit around and worry and be heartbroken over all the stuff that I lost and over all the stuff that was taken away. If I stop long enough to think about all the stuff I didn't deserve and God did it anyway. The times I didn't deserve to be forgiven and he forgave me anyway. The times I shouldn't have made it through. But by the grace and the hand and the mercy of God, here I am as a living proof that God is faithful. If you believe he's faithful, would you stay to your feet and give God a hand clap of praise in this house. Come on, give God a praise for all the goodness and all the grace and all the mercy. Oh, I praise your name, Lord. So here's what I want to say before we get ready to pray. There are three things that can potentially stand before you, stand between you and what God has promised. Only three things. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eye. And it's the pride of life. But here's how you defeat all three of those. Are you ready? Starts with knowing the Word of God. God's Word will encourage you when the world is trying to tear you down. But if you can learn to be thankful for what you have, If you can learn to fixate your eyes off of what you don't have and do like David and sometimes looking around at what you have. David says, sometimes I I don't even just look around. He says, sometimes I look up to the hills from which cometh my help. And I can be in the midst of my brokenness and in the midst of my loneliness. I may be rejected. I may be cast down. I may not feel like shouting. I may not feel like singing. But when I look up and think of how good God is and that his eyes are always on me, it does something to my spirit.